The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown to zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast and radio show. Today, we're speaking with Michelle Franz from BC Salmon Farmers Association. Michelle, hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Laura? I'm really good, thanks. Uh, so tell us about your role with BC Salmon Farmers. Yeah, so um, my title is the Manager of Communications, Partnerships, and Community for the BC Salmon Farmers Association. So I've focused mainly on communications work, um, and we even organize some larger food donations with Food Banks BC and Food Banks Canada. And uh, with COVID, we actually launched with a few other members um of the BC Salmon Farmers Association, uh, BCSFA Youth Council. So I am one of the co-founders and I am the director of the BCSFA Youth Council as well. We definitely work with our members to donate product where we can and just kind of uh, help out with enhancement programs and that kind of stuff. Salmon is super healthy for humans and it's an important part of our diet. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, the health of this product? Yeah, so salmon overall is a really high quality, healthy protein. So when you think of salmon, it's full of omega-3 fatty acids, vitamins and minerals. Um, It has actually been linked to lower depression rates, reduce the risk of Alzheimer's disease, reduce the risk of stroke, uh, lowers triglycerides, um, and also helps prevent plaque buildup in your arteries and prevents blood clotting, lowers cholesterol, um, reduces the risk of cancer and prevents heart disease. So there's a lot of um, functions in terms of keeping a healthy brain and a healthy heart. Um, so consuming salmon, you know, a few times a week is is actually a healthy way to incorporate it into your diet um, and, and has a lot of benefits with it. Nice. Yeah. So for a while, I stopped eating anything that came from the ocean because I heard that we were taking too much fish and I just didn't want to be a part of that. And then we had someone come on the show, Michael Schellenberger, saying that farmed fish is the future and it's the the way to go if you want to be sustainable because then we can leave some of the wild populations alone. Um, but then there's this movement in Canada that's like anti-fish farm. So I don't really know where I stand, but I did start eating salmon again. And I'm really happy that I did because it's so healthy. And uh, sometimes when we cut these things out of our our diets, we are missing out on a lot of uh, really good stuff, right? So walk us through, if you will, the process. So how do we get a little tiny, uh, I guess, would you call it a fry? How do you get that little one all the way to somebody's plate? Yeah, so it actually starts with the eggs, um, but they do move to fry. Um, and there is there is a lot of, you know, division when it comes to farm salmon, whether or not, you know, it's, it's a sustainable source of protein or not. And um, it really takes a lot of just looking into how the industry runs and how it works to really kind of understand its sustainability efforts and, and how it is and can be the future of food. Um, so the process itself, um, just to kind of, you know, give a brief overview, it starts with the broodstock sites. So those are sea sites 
And with the broodstock, those are essentially kind of the moms and dads of the salmon. And so with that, there's genetic breeding programs that go on t- uh, to make sure that, you know, the next generation of salmon are, are even stronger and healthier than the previous ones. And so with that, the eggs are collected um, and fertilized, and then the fertilized eggs are then sent to the hatchery. Um, and the eggs then they grow from egg to smolt on land in a hatchery. So those are run by um, RAS systems, so recirculating systems. And so the fish are kept on land actually for the first half of their life. And so when they're ready to go to sea, then that's when they um, go through a process called smoltification. So they're smolts. And so at that point is when we stock them into the sea site pens. So they go back out to sea um, and that's where they live for the second half of their life. So it's usually about a year, year and a half where they spend time at sea and um, they live there until they're about harvest size and they're ready to go um, to the processing plant. So at that point, they're actually stunned as they're being um, collected off the farm. So they're, they're killed in a very humane way. And, uh, and then from that point on, they're transferred to the processing plant where they're essentially gutted and, and packaged um, and, and put in boxes. And then from there, they go up to the market. So the entire process to the market is actually about 24 to 48 hours. Um, so when you pick up Atlantic salmon at the grocery store, farmed Atlantic salmon, it's incredibly fresh. Cool. So yeah, this sounds like a, a pretty straightforward process. So when they're in, so you said they go to the ocean, but are they in pens in the ocean? Yes. So depending on the seaside, there's about 10 to 12 smaller pens within the larger farm. Uh, they are open at pens. So they use the natural environment to grow in. So they're, they get raised in the natural ocean environment. The sites are kind of selected based on the current level um, to make sure that there's proper flow through the water. Um, so it uses a lot of just the natural ocean currents to raise fish on these farms. And so how is this process sustainable and eco-friendly? Are there measures that these farmers are taking to make sure that the process is good for the environment? Yeah, 100%. So one of the big things that the industry does is achieve third-party certifications that are based around sustainability. Um, So one of them, for example, is called the Aquaculture Stewardship Council Certification. And so each farm to be certified has to pass 150 different indicators. It's a very, very stringent, heavy regulated certification. And it's not a one-time certification that you get. You have to keep up with it in order to keep that certification for that specific farm. And so there's there's about 118 farms in BC. So in order to have those certifications, I mean, every farm has to pass those, those stringent regulations. And so about 80% of the farms right now have that ASC certification. So we are obviously trying to strive to get that to 100. Um, but there's a lot that goes into it. And it's just kind of that validation from a third party that, you know, the way that we operate is sustainable and responsible. Um, not to mention, I mean, just the process of raising farm salmon is actually a very low carbon protein. Um, so especially when you compare it to terrestrial farming, I mean, salmon is only 6.6 kilograms of CO2 is produced per 40 gram serving of salmon. Um, so it's very, very low carbon. 
as well as the feed conversion ratio, because salmon don't have to fight against gravity like terrestrial animals do, their feed conversion is very good. So it's only about 1.2 to 1.5 kilograms of feed that's needed to gain one kilogram of protein. Um, so it's it's very low carbon and low feed conversion. So that on top of just the the third party certifications and the the constant innovation and technology that happens to reduce the impact on the environment just further kind of shows the commitment that salmon farmers have on making sure that we are operating in a sustainable way. Yeah. So I've been trying to figure out why why the government would want to close some of these farms. And the only thing I can see is that it's, it must be related to the sea lice. So my understanding is that there are some groups that are concerned that there is sea lice moving from the farmed salmon out to the wild salmon. Can you speak to that? Like, is that is that happening? Are there measures to prevent that from happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's definitely a common conception is that, you know, the farm salmon are giving the wild salmon sea lice and then causing the populations to decline. Um, but what we do know from research that's occurred is that it's actually the other way around. So when the Pacific salmon migrate through, they have the sea lice on them and they actually transfer that to the farms. And so what what we try to do is manage the sea lice. It's it's a natural pest in the ocean. It's a natural organism. And just like land has pests that they have to control, sea lice is ours. And so what we try to do is make sure that the level of sea lice on the farm doesn't exceed a threshold that is regulated by the government. Typically, it was a chemical use called slice that was used to treat sea lice levels so that it didn't get above the allowable threshold. But what has over time been shown is that you get resistance with that. So in order to make sure that that doesn't happen, the industry has actually invested millions and millions of dollars into clean technology um, as ways to mitigate uh, sea lice on the farm. So there's actually technologies. There's two big ones. One of them's called um, a well boat and the other one's called a hydrolyzer. So the well boat is actually kind of what it sounds like. It's a boat. So the fish get sucked up essentially through tubes and they go on this boat and it's a kind of like a big swimming pool. And um, it's either a freshwater bath because uh, salmon can survive in fresh water as that's part of their life cycle. Um, but sea lice can't. So with that, they swim in a freshwater bath and the sea lice get knocked off or they can swim in hydrogen peroxide baths, which is safe for, for fish and it's safe for the ocean as well. And then they just spend some time in there and they go back into the pens and then the sea lice is collected separately and and composted on land. Or there's this new piece of technology that is very recent to the industry and it's called a hydrolyzer. And it's the same type of idea, but it's um, essentially kind of like a fish car wash. So it's it's a little bit of a quicker process. So the fish, again, are, are brought onto this um, barge where they're, they then go through two different preferences pressure differentials. So the first one will knock the sea lice up off the fish. And then the second one will actually knock the sea lice off the fish. Um, and it's very, it's very light pressure. Um, it's about you know, the same as, as a light garden hose, but it's enough to get the sea lice off the fish. And then the fish actually go back into the pens. And then again, the sea lice are collected separately and they're filtered through a drum filter. And then they're um, composted on land. So 
Those are just a couple examples of some technologies that have been developed over the years to make sure that we are uh, mitigating sea lice, but in a clean way. So I didn't know that the sea lice couldn't survive in freshwater. And so I used to live on Vancouver Island for 11 years. Mm-hmm. And so we would go and see the salmon spawning up the creeks and stuff. Uh, and that's that's where they go to spawn, right, is up mm-hmm. the freshwater creek. So from what you're telling me about the sea lice, that they can't survive in freshwater, then mm-hmm. wouldn't all the sea lice just die whenever they swim inland to go and lay their eggs? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, there's there's the concern around having too much sea lice on Pacific salmon is that it causes stress on the juveniles to the point that they um, die from it. So it, it can happen before they are able to get back to the, the fresh water. Um, so again, because it's a natural parasite, it's, it's hard to mitigate it in terms of the Pacific salmon, but Um, Our responsibility is to make sure that when we have sea lice on our farms to make sure that it's mitigated so that we don't transfer it back to the wild salmon because they initially get it from the wild salmon. Yeah. So I didn't know that, that it was coming from the wild population, but that makes sense because I have a, I have a new puppy and we have to get it vaccinated and you have to treat it for worms and all these things. Right. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of coyotes and wolves and different animals around here. And so I wonder if, if they're sniffing the poop or something of one of the wild coyotes or, or wolves, you know, maybe they could get worms from the wild ones. And I know, I know that they often get covered in ticks, the wild coyotes, whereas, you know, we have these nice controlled pets that we allow into our house. And so we give them tick medication, right? Mm -hmm. So I would imagine that our dogs that we take care of in our house are just so much healthier than the tick ridden, worm ridden, who knows, maybe heartworm or whatever it is that the wild coyote and wolf populations have in in Canada, right? I kind of see a similarity there just because I'm going through this with the with the puppy, getting them all cleaned up. So why why do farmers use Atlantic salmon instead of Pacific salmon when they're in the Pacific? So that's a great question. That's one that we we often get. Um, the reason Atlantic salmon is mo- the most farmed uh, species is because it's a more docile species in nature. Um, so it's easily domesticated, uh, whereas Pacific salmon are more aggressive. And so it's a lot harder to farm them and produce the amount that we do produce as an industry with that species. Um, and we actually do have a member who does produce organic uh, Chinook salmon, but they will tell you firsthand that they consider themselves a, a boutique business because they they cannot produce the amount that the Atlantic salmon farmers produce because it's, you again, you can't put as many in a pen. They're a lot more aggressive. So it's it's a lot more work that goes into to doing that. Um, whereas the Atlantic salmon are just very, very happy in that environment. They thrive in that environment. Atlantic salmon are actually a, a jumping fish. So when you're out on a farm, you can actually see them just jumping around and diving around in the pens. And it's a really cool experience um, because it's not something I've ever seen before until I until I visited a farm. Um, but they're they're quite happy in that environment. Hmm, yeah, I wondered. I always wondered about that, like what the, the reasons were. So the Pacific fa- salmon, they might like fight each other. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily fight each other, but they're, they're yeah, they're just they're more competitive species. They're more aggressive. And so that's actually been seen in the past compared to Atlantic salmon when 
the BC government in the past has actually tried introducing Atlantic salmon into BC waters, and they've never survived because the Pacific salmon always outcompete them. And so they're just more docile. They're just, they're kind of like the cows of the ocean in terms of them. And they're just very, very happy swimming around doing their thing, you know, eating the pellets. It's just kind of what they, they like. What do they eat? The pellets? Yeah, yeah. So it's um, it's fish feed specifically for the salmon, um, and so it's made up of different compounds. So it's it's protein, water, fish oil, um, a little bit of fish meal. But the I know the feed companies are looking into different ways of how to further reduce that. So there's you know experiments going on in terms of using fish or insect proteins um, and plant based proteins to try to lower that impact. Um, there as well, um, as well as there's just alternative oils and just nutrients in general. So it's it's um, these little pellets and this is a bunch of nutrients and it's just helps them grow and yeah, they enjoy it. And there's actually um, cameras now, there's underwater cameras in the pens. So how the fish are fed is there's these automatic this automatic kind of system that shoots the the feed in each pen and they have cameras inside the the houses on the farm and they're able to watch the feed and uh, they're able to control the feed from this room. Um, And so what it does is when they see that the fish are kind of slowing down the feeding, they'll slow down the rate that the feed's shooting out. And then when they see that further decrease, they'll actually shut the feed off. So that actually reduces the amount of feed that falls to the bottom of the ocean. Um, Mm. And it's just another way that kind of reduces our impact on the environment. Oh, that's cool. I love when tech comes in and uh, comes in to help sustainability. I think it's just, it's really cool and we should keep going and keep developing and uh, getting smarter and smarter with our tech and maybe it'll answer all our problems one day if we keep going. I wanted to ask you though, okay, so the wild populations of salmon in the Pacific Northwest are decreasing, right? Yes. So I know that some people blame the fish farms, and I'm not so convinced uh, that that's that's what it is. And we our, our last episode there was about tires, so six PPD. It's yeah. a it's a thing in tires and in urban areas that can kill some kinds of salmon, but not all kinds of salmon, and that's more just in urban areas. So, are there other factors that you know of that are decreasing the wild Pacific salmon populations off the coast of BC? Yeah, I mean, there's so much unknown about wild salmon um, and the populations. I mean, generally, we're seeing this overall decrease, but you do have years where you have really good returns. And so um, there's a lot of speculation why that is. But I mean, overall, what what has been found is there was a commission that actually started in 2009, um, and it's called the Cohen Commission. And it actually concluded, the entire thing concluded just this past September 2020. So it was a very long process. But the whole idea of the commission was to investigate what's causing the decline, specifically in the Fraser River sockeye. And so with that, um, Justice Cohen released his final report in 2012 which included recommendations for DFO for um, that would end on September 2020. But in his final report, he concluded that there actually was no one specific thing responsible for the decline of salmon and that it's a combination of stressors. So it includes climate change, non-sustainable logging practices, urban development, industrial pollution, and overfishing. 
Justice Cohen stated that there actually wasn't enough evidence to determine whether or not farms were part of the decline. And so he part of his recommendation was to um, have DFO complete nine peer-reviewed scientific risk assessments to determine that if the salmon farms are actually posing more than a minimal risk to salmon. Those nine scientific studies concluded this past September 2020, and that was the deadline. And DFO actually announced on September 28th that the salmon farms were not posing more than a minimal risk. And so, I mean, again, there's there's a combination of things that are causing the decline. But what we're learning more and more is that um, salmon farms aren't aren't a huge contributor to the overall decline. But unfortunately, the BC it's the BC provincial government, right? They're the ones that ordered some of the fish farms closed. It was actually the federal government. Oh, it was the federal government. Yes. Yeah. The industry is regulated both by the provincial and the federal government. The licenses specifically are renewed by the federal government. There was licenses in the Discovery Islands that were up for renewal at the end of December of 2020. Um, And so with this Cohen commission, there was an extension onto that announcement in September that the, the DI specifically would be reviewed. And so uh, the licenses, there would be a decision about those licenses at the end of December. So then that's where the Discovery Islands announcement came from on December 18th. So you guys must be against the closures, right? Are you trying to prevent them or trying to help the farmers at all with the association? Yeah. So, I mean, the decision specifically was a decision made by the seven nations in the Discovery Islands. So we definitely respect that decision. Our concern with the decision is that the industry and communities and the mayors weren't consulted when the consultation was going on with this decision. When DFO announced that salmon farms did not pose more than a minimal risk in September, part of that announcement was that they would also complete um, consultation with the seven nations in the Discovery Islands, um, and it would be of information exchange. And you can find all this on the DFO website. And so when the decision came out that the farms were to be removed in 18 months, it was quite a shock because it was kind of the exact opposite of what the Cohen Commission concluded in terms of salmon farms in that area. But again, it was a nation decision, so we do respect that. But um, our concern was just about the fact that, you know, this is going to have large ramifications on North Island communities and the industry didn't get a chance to speak on that or have a chance to talk about what a closure in 18 months looks like. Um, And so with that, I mean, there are potentially 1500 livelihoods and jobs on the line and Mm. there are millions of fish in hatcheries that were supposed to go into those farms that are going to potentially have to be culled early because there's nowhere to put them. That's absolutely ridiculous. So I don't understand why they wouldn't give you first of all I don't even know if they should be shut down but if they are you know you shouldn't waste all the little fish this is just crazy so how how much fish are we going to lose do you count the fish by fish or do you count it by pounds so we produce so the industry as a whole produces about 87,000 tons a year wow. so it's yeah so it's quite a lot but that's just in um, BC so- 
That's just in BC. So the salmon farm, the BC salmon farming industry is actually BC's number one agri-food and seafood export. Yeah. So even more than wild salmon, even more than other types of uh, aquaculture or agriculture, we, we produce the most and we export the most. And that's just because there isn't a large demand in Canada for farm salmon. Um, which is unfortunate because it's it's delicious and it's healthy and it's a great alternative. So you're, like you said earlier, you're taking that pressure off the wild stocks. You export most of what we produce, um, but it does equal to about 353 million meals. So that's a lot of meals every year. Oh my gosh, 350 million? 353 million meals a year is what we produce. Um, 353 so that, million meals of, oh my gosh, yeah, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. And so with that, I mean, yeah, there's there's concern that we're going to have to call salmon and the number's still being determined just because there's a couple of farms that we aren't sure if are they're part of the closure or not because we still haven't heard from the federal government in response to this decision. We're still waiting essentially for the federal government to speak with us about this. Um and so we're not too sure what this means in terms of, you know, how much fish are going to be lost, how much production is going to be lost exactly. We're, we're estimating right now, but it's about 30% of the production that's going to be affected. So it's, it's quite significant when you look at it in terms of the economics and, and just business-wise. I mean, companies are going to lose 30% of their production, which is a lot. And so at this point, companies are thinking, can we even stay alive? Can we even continue to operate? Because that's a big hit. And that's going to affect all of the suppliers and services that are usually contracted who are local businesses to help and and provide services and, and supplies to those farms. So it has a very large ripple effect. Yeah, absolutely. With all the people that work in these, I would imagine, pretty small communities. Uh, so yeah. I hope that people don't have to leave or something. So with the this 30%, so there's only a few areas that have been targeted and it's only those farms that have to shut down? Yeah, so the the ones that are being that were announced to shut down are in the Discovery Islands area. So the farms are actually spread out over North Vancouver Island and on the west coast of the island, so Dufino region. And so the one specifically that are to be shut down is in the Discovery Islands. So it's about 17 to 19 farms, depending on where the boundary is going to be. So when we hear a lot of people talk about this decision, a lot of it's just like, oh, well, it's just, you know, 17 to 19 farms that are being shut down. That's not a big deal. But when you look at what that actually means for the industry and for North Island communities, it's quite significant, especially because these North Island communities rely on resource industries to help the communities grow and prosper. And so these communities in the past have always relied on logging and wild fisheries and mining. And as we've seen over the years, you know, a lot of mining's gone, wild fisheries has significantly declined and logging's declining as well. So, I mean, salmon farming is becoming a major lifeline in these really, really rural coastal communities that are, you know, Indigenous and non-Indigenous. And so it's it's a big concern because if this industry has to leave, it's it's going to have big impacts on the North Island. Yeah, that's quite sad to think about that these people, you know, that probably grew up there or I have uh, some First Nations friends that live on Vancouver Island and not in a reserve area, but they just they work 
regular jobs with everybody else and they live in, you know, small communities or Comox or wherever. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I think that those people will be impacted as well. Right. It's, it's a very strange thing that's happening. Um, well, I, I did learn quite a bit. So thank you for coming on the show and telling us all about this. And, uh, I hope that we end up making the best decision, uh, both for people and for the wild salmon and, for the farm salmon. There's a, a lot of things that are at stake here, I think. Um, yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to add? I think just kind of, you know, it is a it is a quite a divisive topic and, and subject. And I really just encourage people to really kind of look at, you know, the global aspects of the industry and what it can provide in terms of food security and sustainability and, and look at how far the industry has really kind of come over the years. It's it's only about 30 years old in BC. It's it's a very, very new industry. And so looking at the progress the industry has made over those past 30 years is it's completely the opposite that it used to be. Um, you know, I was somebody who really was not a fan of aquaculture when I started because I went to school out in Halifax, got a marine biology degree, did a aquaculture course, uh, learned about all of the past practices that uh, aquaculture used to do, and it left a really, really sour taste in my mouth. And I personally was not a fan. Um, and it actually took me taking a job for an aquaculture company up north um, in Prince Rupert that actually completely just woke woke me up to a whole other side of this industry. Um, and you see that it's it's really not the same industry it was when it started, and it's very heavily regulated. So I just, I really encourage people to have an open mind and just, you know, have a conversation about it. I know it's new and it's a very weird concept, but it really is going to be the way that we, we eat seafood in the future. Yeah, I've heard that before by some pretty smart people. And it makes sense to me to grow and farm and raise these fish, of course, ethically and sustainably, because they provide so much nutritional value to humans. And then it takes the pressure off of the local wild populations so that they should be able to rebound, right? Um, I've said this before on the show that I'm ex-Navy and I've been down to Seattle and I've seen the size of the trawlers. It's insane how big they are. Like they must just be pulling so much fish from the ocean. And uh, I think if we eat more farm salmon that we could we could reduce uh, what we're taking from the wilds. Um, but we want to make sure that it is a healthy, sustainable practice, right? So where can we find more information? So BC Salmon Farmers, you're on Twitter. I think it's bcsalmonfarmers.ca. And are you on Instagram? I think so, right? Yes, we have Instagram. We have LinkedIn. Um, we have a YouTube page. So we have quite a bit. And so, yeah, I just encourage people to check out our social media pages as well as our website. We have lots of good resources that we've been building over this past year to make sure that we are giving the public, you know, proper information about the industry. So we've actually recently launched a um, performance dashboard on our website. So you can actually see the indicators like sea lice, like the number of salmon that we produce per year, a map of where all the salmon farms are located. It's really cool. Um, And you can kind of see the timeline over the years of how the industry has really progressed. Um, So I would highly recommend people check out that, that dashboard. Cool. Well, that was Michelle Franz. She is from the BC Salmon Farmers Association. She's the manager of communications, partnership and community there. Change starts now. 
This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.